Mike Palmer here. Welcome back to Trending in Education. We have a special treat. Today we have an episode of an upcoming podcast called Running It Back featuring a friend of the show, Tarlin Ray and myself. And uh, this one's about the 1999 playoffs, very sim playoffs, playoffs, very similar to some of the things we're seeing down at the bubble. We didn't want to hold it back until the formal launch of Running It Back, since some of it is pretty topical. We try to keep it zeitgeisty, keep it frosty, and uh, hopefully you enjoy. We'll be back soon with regular trending and education, and thanks as always for listening. Thanks for joining us today on Running It Back, the Lessons Learned podcast talking about sports and the world around us. This is Mike Palmer. I'm joined as always by Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, how are you on this uh, this fine day? You know, I have two things to say. One, for all you longtime listeners, Running It Back, Hmm. whenever we say Running It Back, it's, it's hard for me to say those words out loud. Some of you know I ruptured my Achilles in sheltering in place, but just went to the doctor this week and was able to walk down the hall on my toes without any noticeable limp. Nice. So I will be running it back sooner than you think. Nice. So I'm doing great. That's awesome. And and little known fact about you, Tarlin, you always just walk around on your toes, right? That's just something. <laughs> exactly. You just, you just it's like... like my own version of strength trainers. Most of you don't <laughs> exactly. know that. Exactly. The late 80s, we'll, we'll run a little series on running it back on some of the worst athletic training equipment yeah Num- number two yeah i'm excited for you yes because on this episode we will be covering the strike shortened 1998 1999 season at the right. mm-hmm. there might be a team that you are really passionate about that yeah made some small run uh-huh and so i'm looking forward to just the excitement and enthusiasm and just the full fandom that's going to come out yeah. This podcast. Well, I appreciate that because as a Knicks fan, things got pretty, pretty sad pretty fast after 1999. And, and we didn't even win 1999. We only, we only, uh, you know, spoiler alert for those of you who, who don't you know what, what oh, happened. Oh, sorry. Okay. But, but yeah, the Knicks did not win in 1999, but there was a heck of a run, made a heck of a run there. So, so yeah, but the reason we brought it up, addition, in addition to me getting excited about this as a Knicks fan, where it was really a heroic run and it's fun to, Fun to go back and a lot to talk about. Latrell Sprewell, the Ewing theory, uh, which is a, a fa- theory famously espoused by Bill Simmons about how a team that loses its best player suddenly performs better Ooh. because they have a motivation to rally. I thought but, that was uh, the cold, the cold lottery card, so you could pick <laughs> pick the card to make sure that's the Ewing, the Ewing conspiracy sorry. theory. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a common misconception. But, uh, but beyond that, what we were thinking, and the other uh, related point is the Knicks' eighth seed, the only time an eighth seed has made it to the NBA Finals, and in part that was because it was a strike-shortened season. Had they had a full 82-game season, they probably would have slotted in, maybe not the eighth seed, who knows. But, uh, but the year was abbreviated due to a work stoppage. Patrick Ewing was the head of the Players' Union at the time. And we were thinking about how, as the bubble is about to 
float I'll out burst. there? Is that what it does? <laughs> I float out there in the world gently? No, bubbles always burst too. It's a very scary analogy. But as the NBA launches into the bubble season of 2020, uh, or at least uh, heading into the playoffs of 2020, starting with the 2019 season, it's going to be abbreviated similarly to that year. The, the work stoppage was prior to the beginning of the season. So they started on February 5th. They wound up playing 50 games in 90 days. So a very compressed uh, schedule in 1999. And uh, got kind of fluxy, got a little upsy downsy, you know, wacky, wacky action coming from the, the Knicks there as an eight seed. But lots for us to think about today. Some analogies, perhaps, Tarlin? Anything you can analogize, perhaps, uh, between 1999 and uh, 2020? Well, a couple things. One, it's the first time that the NBA had, had had lost any games to inability for the players union and the owners to come to agreement. Mm-hmm. This came to a head because the owners in their six-year agreement had, after three years, had an option to renegotiate. But then, the end of the day, it all came down to money, mm-hmm. right? And you see it in other leagues, they were fighting over, and part of it was actually Larry Bird exception, mm-hmm. where to keep your own player, you could throw funny money around. You know, the percentage of basketball-related revenue that was going to the players peaked at 57%, and the owners were unhappy. So if you think about that strike sort in season, in a day, 50 games in 90 days, that is crazy. Yeah. You're talking about load management for players now. Right. I mean, just, I can't imagine, I can't believe there weren't a few more injuries coming yeah. out of that. Right. But it's the same thing that's happening. We, 2020, 2019, 2020 season, Matt topped out at 67 games. They're going to play eight more. So they're basically playing a full season. Right. And then they're still going to, going to see if they can do it without fans. It all comes down to money. Money. And, well, and also getting back to normalcy, right? You know, Sure. The normalcy with everyone in a bubble in Florida eating dry food, no fans, which is cool, actually, with how they're piping in fan noise and the court looks, but still. Yeah. But it's, but it's a, also it's, the alternative is you don't name an NBA champion, which, which has never happened. Since the NBA was founded, they have always named a champion. And honestly, you don't hear much about 99 as an asterisk season. Unless, unless you're he, Phil Jackson or Shaq. Unless you're someone who wants to dig a little deeper. Unless you're Phil Jackson, who's probably one of the best trolls in the NBA. <laughs> Two, three years, even beyond, because yeah. Spurs are always such a big rival. Lakers will always say that it should be an asterisk. And then Shaq recently. I actually don't. They, they're going to play almost 90. Or someone do the math. Yeah. Is someone doing the math for us? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back with the number. Producer, yeah. They're, they're going to they're play a large percentage of the games. And then they're going to have the playoffs. So why would this be considered an asterisk? Um, right. Well, the only, difference, the only difference is you're not having to play in front of hostile environments. 91%, by the way. Nice. Thank you, fact checker, calculator. Although they're not playing in hostile environments, it's still competition. So Right. The reason why it could be an asterisk is what if Giannis or LeBron or Kawhi get COVID yep. in yep. the playoffs? Playoffs. How will people look at it? As a Knicks fan, it is interesting to think about what would have happened had Ewing been healthy, which again, maybe had the season not been so compressed. He was 35 towards the tail end of his career, starting to lose a step when he wasn't the fastest guy to begin with. He's a big, he's a big fella. But the big fella, and he had an Achilles injury too. That's what knocked him out. But had that not happened, they were able to muster the heroic will to unseat the Pacers without Ewing 
and they won a game and they really should have won game five even without Ewing. So the question is whether Van Gundy could have managed the dynamics of when Ewing's in there, it's Ewing's team. And part of what he was able to do, the lesson in leadership from the Van Gundy side was that he was ready to be responsive and opportunistic to the opportunity that presented itself. He had to take a shot. He had more athleticism in the lineup that he wound up with, with Camby and Latrell Sprewell. And he decided to really work that set of matchups, which were very different from the team that was slowed up and clogged up to a certain extent by the big fella being back to the basket, counting down the the 24-second clock at every trip. Instead, they were more wide open. They were more freestyling as an offense. And he was able to unlock some of the the really inspired play out of some of his more emotional players, including Latrell Sprewell, a young Marcus Camby, and Charlie Ward, to your point, you know, Charlie Ward, the Heisman Trophy winner, Charlie Ward, your national champion, Florida State Seminole, Charlie Ward, who wound up being a, a serviceable point point guard in the so, NBA. So let's close the book on 2020, 2019-2020. Yeah. Let's go to that season. But I, I think it's a fair point. What happens is Giannis or LeBron or one of those guys go down. We won't know until right now they're in a bubble. So far, so good too, right? Like so so far, so good. People who are crossing the line to like get a postmates have to then re-quarantine, but so far, so good. But it will be like the Nets. They're pulling guys, four guys off the street that literally are not, they were out of the NBA. Right. It's different, but if you start to see an impact to the big team, then then we would – we will save the asterisk conversation for another time. But I, I feel like we wouldn't be doing justice if we didn't set the stage for 1998-99. Yeah. For those who listen to The Last Dance, Jordan, as the work stoppage is happening, officially announces a retirement. Yeah. So the mantle is passed. You would think that the Indiana Pacers, who took Jordan to seven, would be the team of destiny. Yeah. And then we have this ragtag ragtag group of Knicks players yeah. that are destiny bound. Now, most people would say shocked Ewing goes down, but a funny little stat. I know you mentioned Charlie Ward and he won a Heisman. Mm-hmm. There were five wooden award winners mm. in the finals. Wow. And the Knicks had two of them. Mm-hmm. And one of them wasn't Ewing who I think came in second. A couple years in a row. Oh, really? Yeah, Larry Johnson, I, I Marcus was... Camby. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. David Robinson, Sean mm-hmm. Elliott, mm-hmm. Tim Duncan. Uh-huh. So it was a scrappy group. Mm-hmm. But what you're pointing at is there's a lot of talent there. And mm-hmm. what, and Ewing going down, I think Van Gunny had the ability to mix and match the players in a way that he would not probably have had the ability to do mm-hmm. unless his mainstay went down. Yeah. And it is also that leadership opportunity where you basically need to put up or shut up. It's like, this is it, you know? And as a leader, Van Gundy was not, he was, he was quintessentially vulnerable, right? Like he was about to lose his job and he had to get buy-in from the team. And the only way he was keeping his job was if this somehow this team believed they could do more than, than the rest of the, 
the intelligentsia thought. At the same time, they had disappointed during the regular season. So, so I think there was still some potential, but, but part of why Van Gundy was likely to lose his job had they been knocked out in the first round was that they had underperformed. And then when it all started to come together, there was a lot of hope. Then they lost Ewing and he was able to still pivot that. And I got to give credit to the blend there that you had, you know, the, the fact that there was no alpha male, which I think is an interesting concept that's out there lots of times where you have to say, you know, who's the best player on the floor and this team is that person's team. I think in the case of the 1999 Knicks, uh, flux a year, strike shortened, everything's crazy. I get it. Y2K was on the horizon. So everyone's freaking, everyone's freaking out. <laughs> but if you look at that team, Alan Houston, definitely the, the, the most highly paid player, very low key shooter, you know, mild mannered player. Spreewell, probably his team to a certain extent, but he had just come there after serving a 68 game suspension for choking his coach, PJ Carlissimo, in practice in December of 1997. So he came back from that, missed the beginning of the season because of the strike. So he missed basically all of 1998 because he was suspended by the NBA for the year. And then had the season started as scheduled, it would have been in 1998, but didn't start until February. And then Spiro, when he was coming back, a lot of Knicks fans were questioning the move. He was traded for John Starks, Knicks uh, legend, Knicks hero. Jordan Stopper. Jordan Stopper. The way I see Sprewell is he's a stronger, more athletic version of John Starks. He's just a lot smoother. And defensively, he made a lot of steals where you were just like, wait, where's the ball? He would out anticipate the camera. The camera would still be going yep, where yep. the flow of the game was. And then you come back in the other direction. And, and between him and Camby, it was just fun as a Knicks fan for, for that brief moment in time for them to be a little more wide open and a little more wheeling and dealing, even though they didn't really have the ball handler. I'll never forget, even that first round matchup was against the, the Pat Riley Miami Heat, the one seed, who we had just, the Knicks had just beaten the, the season before. We kind of had their number. And going into that series, I think the Knicks felt pretty confident that they could take them. And then I remember game five, I was on uh, University of Florida campus in the student union watching game five on the TV down there. And I think I literally was, I fell, I fell to the ground. When, when Alan Houston hit that shot, I just remember the, the two shots that I remember being actually three shots. I remember being floored in the nineties as a Knicks fan. The last one was at least positive. The first one was the, the Kukoc shot. The nope. second was the Reggie Miller eight points in six seconds. That's all a blur to me. Yeah. And then this was the third. I just remember, once they hit that shot, it's also like you're in this quantum reality as a fan, as a team, where you're like, we could very easily lose in the first round. But then once you win in the first round, they close, they close the season uh, six and two. You know, they started to get it together after going 21 and 21. And then, and then got a little bit of momentum, lost the big fella. But you get the sense that, that almost released them from any expectations because there was still whatever baggage Patrick Ewing and that legacy of the Knicks had around making it so far but not quite making it there and you know he was uh, if only he had a better supporting cast with him and now he finally had Sprewell with him maybe this is their chance to make it and now that narrative is is gone and they're almost in like a post-narrative post-alpha male 
we're just feeling it and playing basketball together. It was a lot of fun to watch, honestly. It was fun to, to rewatch some of these games. But just think about where they ended up because in that season, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was one of the first times the Knicks had one of the highest payrolls. Mm-hmm. So there was yeah. a lot of expectation behind it. Was the, it was the highest payroll, yeah. The highest payroll. Ernie Grunfeld, who is the GM, and Van Gundy are at each other's throats. Grunfeld wants to. He's, he's acquired assets yeah. that are able to get out. Marcus Canby. Yep. Charles Sprewell still in his prime. Houston mm-hmm. can still go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Van Gundy wants to have more of a plotting. You got Charlie Ward is not going to be a go. He's going to yeah. set up the offense. You got, you got you're going to wait for Ewing to get down the court. Yeah. And ultimately in that season, Grunfeld gets fired. Yeah. So Van Gundy wins the Game of Thrones. But what ended up happening is because Ewing goes down, yeah. He actually, the assets he put in place were actually, he act, the, the game that he wanted Van Gundy to play was the one he ended up playing. Yeah. Because he lost that alpha. So yeah. it's just interesting. If Layers upon layers. I was thinking Game of Thrones too. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if Ewing goes down in the regular season, Van Gundy and Grunfeld coexist because mm-hmm. it's almost, you're not using my toys properly. I got right. these guys and I have a vision for it. So mm-hmm. that's one. Two, after Van Gundy is fighting so hard to play, you know, his plotting approach. And listen, I congrats on that season. But when you look back at some of the scores, it's like 77, 76. Like, it's not all about scoring, Tarlin. Basketball involves this other aspects horrible, than just scoring. Horrible basketball. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Van Gundy, though, has to also humble himself because part of the friction with the GM was the style of play and he had to change on the yeah, fly right. his style of play and he had mm-hmm. to do it in the playoffs. Yeah. And he had to do it to start. He had to do it against his former guide, his guru in Pat Riley, who yep. had groomed him when Riley was coaching the Knicks and Riley took his talents to South Beach. First one to ever do it. <laughs> and, and then even uh, Stan Van Gundy was an assistant under Riley, as was Eric Spostra. So Riley has this whole lineage of people in his coaching uh, tribe. But it was tough going for him when he started in Miami. I was looking back over the history. They, they obviously warmed up and won a championship with Wade and Shaq later on. But those first few years, they were they were kind of paper tigers in the in the in the playoffs. Playoffs. They generally would be strong in the regular season, and then they were notorious for the brawls. I mean, that they'd be brawling into this. This is the, the Jeff Van Gundy grabbing hold of Alonzo Mourning's leg and being <laughs> shook violently. Like the coach of the Knicks had his, his arms wrapped around the leg of the center of the Miami Heat who was trying to shake him off. This actually happened, Tarly. That's and normally Fred, what you're supposed to do in a fight. I'm going to go for the lower leg. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, if you have you, if you've seen his size, you know, he's not yeah, the first. But speaking of size, I also saw uh, Sprewell was listed as 6'5", 190. Yeah. So, like, that's a – he's a lean, mean dude, you know. Yeah, he, and, yeah. And also, and, and also was dominant in Golden State. You don't get that talent unless you have, have a problem. So, one of the things you and I talked about was it's a season where – Ewing's not in his prime, but it's also there are some reclamation projects. Like, mm-hmm, how does mm-hmm. Camby get traded mm-hmm. to the Knicks? He's an all, you know, he's a shot blocker, unbelievable mm-hmm. rebounder. Mm-hmm. You don't get Latrell unless you he had problems elsewhere. Yeah. We talked about this looking at other sports. Belichick has been one to consistently bring on reclamation projects and, mm-hmm. and put them in a system and they've thrived. Yeah. Whether it's Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, and others. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so, Spree, Spreewell, there's a lot to learn from. There's a lot to learn from his his troubles where, you know, you know, taking it, bringing a two by four back after you get in a, an altercation with a teammate during practice and then you come back with a two by four and then you threaten to come back with a gun, you know, that's some serious stuff. So you got to work through that, those things. But it had a little early Gilbert Arenas in him. Yeah, he had some issues. And then he winds up really losing it. You know, PJ Carl, I would have had trouble if I was coached by PJ Colissimo too. I, I don't think Every, everyone I don't does. think many of us would be like, oh my listening God, to him. Coach PJ. <laughs> Sorry. Really, well, thanks so much for all, all your, your wonderful beration. But, but yeah, so he, he made a mistake. He accepted that he made the mistake. And then for this to be the first playing action he saw after taking a full year off, and he came out on fire and he made this team meaningfully better. Sadly, they fell short, but I still think there's some inspiration to be had there. I think there's a little bit of reflection that I think any of us would need to have. When might we as leaders or as people are trying to understand where things are heading, when might we fall in love with the old playbook to our own detriment? Had they not traded for Sprewell and Camby, I don't think the Knicks team that they had, an aging John Starks and aging Terry Cummings and Charles Oakley with an aging Ewing, that team was done, you know, and it took some foresight, even though he wound up losing his job, took some foresight to actually let go of what had been your winning hand to mix it up. Cause the only way they were going to win was to shift tactics. Their hand was forced by the Achilles injury to Ewing, but it's just a reminder to be flexible and to be opportunistic with the talent that you have. I don't necessarily fall too much in love with the star culture and building a team around a single player because you may wind up losing that player and you may be surprised by what would happen. Can you affect that type of leadership in your day-to-day? It's hard. That's part of why we're talking about lessons learned. Yeah, and we, we're spending a lot of time on the blue and orange. I think we do need to actually spend just a moment yeah. talking about the team that won the actually, actual championship. Actually won. Yeah, Most people sense. don't say who. Like you say, who won in 2003? And like, oh, no, no, I just want to know who was, who was the runner-up. <laughs> so, yeah. San Antonio Spurs. Popovich is in his second full season, season and a quarter. He had fired Brian Hill a year before. He's the GM, and now he's GM and coach. He's, this is pop before he's pop. Mm-hmm. He's got the Twin Towers and David Robinson who's on the – it's the same thing. David Robinson's on the – tail end of his career. Yeah. Tim Duncan is an all-world talent, but still deferring. They start the season horribly to the point where I think they're six and eight. Mm-hmm. And Popovich brings in Avery Johnson and David Robinson has them come over to the house and basically lets them know if we don't win, I'm just letting you know, if we don't win the next game, there's possibility of a coaching change. Even, and even though it was 1999, it was probably over a nice bottle of wine or two. Sure, sure, sure. He yeah, was yeah, still, yeah. He was still making sure everyone, everyone had something to drink. Yeah, And then to have the team rally around the coach. Mm-hmm. So players only meeting on the bus, Avery Johnson calls out Robinson and Duncan and says they need to do more. Robinson's willing to defer and stop being the guy who's scoring 50 points in mm-hmm. all world mm-hmm. and basically sees, I got this unbelievable talent in Duncan and we need to make sure we ride with him. Mm-hmm. That next game both of them have unbelievable stats. They then went on a little seven-game run. But to end the season, they were 31, won 31 and 36 games. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the lessons learned. And we talked about for the Knicks, it's an underdog story. Mm-hmm. 
you often as teams, whether it's business or others, you can come together if people A, don't believe or you have a common mission and you, everyone is bought in. Yeah. I think for the Spurs, the collection of parts, they knew they weren't going to do anything unless people were willing to play roles to mm -hmm. buy in mm -hmm. and to put some egos aside. Mm -hmm. And so they did that early. The Knicks were more a surprise. The Spurs, we talked about it before we got on, you know, they rolled people, yeah. rolled my Lakers. They only, they had only lost one game leading into the, into the finals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was not flash. They really only have one score on the outside and Sean Elliott, mm -hmm. Sean Elliott, who had to get a kidney replacement after the season. Right. So he's playing, playing invisibly hurt, but playing noticeably yeah. hurt the whole time. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, to come up against a Knicks team that was super talented, but, those guys had found that had clicked in earlier mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into their, into their um, persona and who they were. Imagine the Knicks team. We talked, say, you say, what if, Nick, what if Ewing wasn't there? What if Ewing wasn't, was there in the finals? What if he wasn't there for majority of the season? Right. That identity would have clicked in. So it would have been mm -hmm. a different game, but yeah, yeah. you appreciate that because most of the time, if you read prior to the season, start of the 2020-21 season, everyone's going to pick the Bucks. That's not the story that's interesting. It's the one that comes from nowhere. And you get the backstory of a small trade that changed mm -hmm. the dynamic of the locker room and people are playing together. Mm -hmm. That's why that season was super interesting for me when you, look, when you did some research on those Spurs and the Knicks. That's yeah. why even going now to 2020 and 2020, it's interesting because – they played 67 games together where teams had had their identity. Mm -hmm. Walkie's rolling people. Lakers are number one Western conference. And now they had to spend four months away trying to maintain that cultural imprint, that yeah. togetherness, making mm -hmm. sure guys are still working out Yeah, in a very short period of time. They're supposed to restart. So, yeah, and then, and then restarted in this sci-fi setting of the bubble with social distancing and masks and all yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Interesting parallels. The one thing I will say is if you're going to have a team in the 90s, make sure Steve Kerr is on your team because you're going to win the championship. <laughs> he wound up on this team too. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. The unsung yeah. spot up spot up shooter who probably is helping a young Duncan and, and Robinson mm -hmm. understand how to uh, cohabitate and having stars play together. Yeah. That helps. And then having a Mario Ellie who mm -hmm. won two titles with the Rockets Mm -hmm. You just had a little more there for the Spurs. Yeah. But I will, to tip of my cap, I loved watching that Knicks team. Yeah. I was rooting for that Knicks team. It was hard not to root for that team. That's why this season, if you haven't done the research, you haven't gone on the way back machine, hopefully we've uh, inspired you a little bit to check it out. And who knows, maybe this year, maybe a Cinderella story comes together in the bubble. Maybe something crazy happens and a team catches fire, a low seat. Another thing I, I was reminded of here is that the 1995 Houston Rockets were in a full season, 82 game season, were a six, six seed, six seed yeah. who won the championship too. And I guess I always, I pull for the underdog. That's part of why I like March Madness is, you know, you, you occasionally see the the upsets and I'm kind of hoping in this this crazy world of ours we'll see a little bit of surprises uh, because the NBA is very skewed towards super teams right now where if if the Lakers if one of the LA teams or maybe the Rockets but really it's one of the LA teams out of the west anything else is a big surprise and then the east it's obviously Milwaukee and then maybe Boston maybe someone else but like 
it, the odds are pretty heavily skewed in terms of what people are thinking and what Vegas is saying and what the odds makers are saying that it's really going to be one of these super teams making it, you know, all the way to the finals. Be kind of fun if a team caught fire, but I think it might be tough after a four month uh, hiatus to kind of catch lightning in a bottle and, and get hot down there. But after all, Tarlin, that's why they play the games, right? That's why, so, they, play the, why they play the games. So uh, my last thought uh, here is that the San Antonio Spurs are really good at, at being a phenomenal team that you don't really talk about. And Tim Duncan is a quintessential top five, top ten all-time basketball players who is so eminently forgettable except if you watch him play. And if you watch him play, you have to admire his artistry. So maybe some way to give Duncan his due is that I had a hard time remembering how dominant he was because he, he kind of just puts, he puts a baby to sleep. He just, it's not the exciting style of play. He's not a high energy, high charisma for the fans. This really was his launch into uh, a storied career. It's also because they didn't win back-to-backs or triples they always would win and then be competitive but for some reason it would take three or four years before they would come back and win again but also for those of you who are curious about the history of the NBA and super teams 1999 this was the Spurs first trip to the NBA finals and they won and with the the Popovich and Duncan party going on for like another really almost 20 years where they were consistently a contender in the playoffs and then many times making it to the finals. How many did they ultimately win? You said there was an asterisk. How many did they, the Spurs win? I yeah. thought it was four or five. He's four or five. I think it's five. But, uh, but once again, we will have our crack team <laughs> back checkers because this is what we're about. We're all about facts. So any final thoughts, Tara, final thoughts. Yeah, so we're able to geek out about this because even though the strike sorting season, it brought joy to have that team and some underdog teams playing in the playoffs. I, I just got word in my ear that it's five, five, Duncan at five. Yeah. We hope that they come back in the bubble. I'm hoping for no injuries, mm-hmm. no COVID surprises. Yep. And just for the, the guys just to see some competition. We miss mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. even though we're in this weird world it's healthier for people to have some sort of distraction which is what entertainment always was as you mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. all movies getting pushed back on their releases this is the, the water cooler talk in the same way that the last dance was for many of us so i'm looking forward to the season i'm glad we we're able to cover this i'm yeah. we have about 20 other shows we want to do and i'm so happy we'll never talk about the knicks again <laughs> Just like, not Saturday. Just not, I think just, we might get a Lynn Saturday show in there. I, just, think, oh, I think that, okay. that well, might still qualify. That, but yeah, that, yeah, sorry, yeah. I forgot we had yeah. that on the docket. Yeah. We'll just yeah, move yeah. that back because he's played <laughs> for a lot of teams. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, again, yeah, we're we're hoping for the best, and uh, you know, try to run it back a little bit, see what we can learn from history. I think that 1999 was an interesting year, and it's a worth spend a little time understanding what happened back there. We'll be back again soon. Thanks, as always, for listening. Follow us on Twitter. uh, Subscribe. Enjoy. Do all the good things. And we'll be back again soon on Running It Back.